Hi, everyone. Welcome to Refine and Grow with Justin and Lindsay. My name is Lindsay Allen. And my name is Justin Euler, and this is your podcast for proven strategies on navigating and managing work life. So in this episode, we're going to continue the conversation that we had in the last episode where we were talking about difficulty with customers, but that was really specific to B2B, as Justin pointed out, business to business. So your customers is in the business accounts that you manage. And we want to do a little bit more of the individual relationship and kind of change the perspective from the folks who might manage large contractual relationships to as an individual reporting into a client. So folks who do freelancing, work for contractors or management consulting, you have your employer, but on a day-to-day basis, you report directly into a client, helping them run some type of program or project day-to-day. And so how do you deal with difficult clients? I mean, this is a really big one for management consultants. It's something that you've got to learn in order to continue in that area of expertise because inevitably your clients are going to be very different, prioritize differently, communicate differently, and you're going to have sort of your individual preferences for who you might click with and who you may not. But you also will have clients in general that are just really difficult to engage with and ensure success with. And so how might you navigate those types of client relationships. And as I was reflecting on where are some of the examples I have personally of where I've had to engage with a difficult client and what was it that made them difficult? I thought of actually kind of a few categories of difficult experiences with clients. And so one of those categories is when I have a client who isn't really engaged. That's probably one of the hardest ones for me because I think one of the best pieces of advice I ever got when I was in grad school, I was getting my master's of organization development and they were really, the professors were telling us management consultant, specifically organization development consulting is what we're training you to do and to go into. And one of the professors said, make sure that you never care more than your client. And that's always been great advice to sort of keep me focused and ensure that my priorities align with my client. Because if I care more than them and I'm starting to take over the strategic direction, making decisions, that can cause difficulty and issues with the client because that's really their role. But I have had times where I've been asked to execute something by a client and then they aren't engaged. I actually was thinking about a client that we had, Justin, in LA when we were traveling. And we had been given a contract with the deliverables that were required, but the client was difficult to get a hold of, to check in with regularly, to get feedback. It wasn't one of those scenarios where they were available for a weekly check-in and were close to the details. They just wanted to hear, this is what I need. Come let me know when it's done. And in that scenario, what we did was we found that there were times where we had to pause and wait for direction. And then there were times when we were working a little harder and making some assumptions. But what we did was we moved forward. We found a way to make forward progress and then used the time with the client to present the deliverables that we had created and get the feedback that way to see if there was additional information they wanted or another direction to go. In some cases, depending on the deliverable, it was one big deliverable where we were interviewing this client's department 
it was a couple of banks that had the same parent company and they were merging together. And we were trying to understand what the engineering department did for these two different banks to kind of help them merge and present the information. But as far as doing regular check-ins with the client to say things like, what are your thoughts on the interview questionnaires? How would you like this data shown? They weren't that engaged. They were just, well, figure it out and let me know what you find out. So there were times when we had to pause because we needed permission to move forward, or maybe people weren't accepting our invitations to interview them and learn about their roles and responsibilities. And because the client wasn't consistently available for escalation and risk resolution, it might have taken a little bit longer. So I really learned to just get patient with the timeline, to not have this expectation of I need to know what my next couple of weeks look like and how we'll be engaging with the client and what we'll be putting together. It was like, well, we've asked the client all of the questions we can. There's a bit of a pause. We're going to focus elsewhere while we wait for that. And when these answers come in, you know, you have to just kind of be flexible and ready to go with the flow to quickly get the information. And in the case that we can't get answers or we can't get a resolution to a risk, like a target interviewee accepting our invite and debriefing us on the role and response responsibility. Well, then we save that for when we do have our monthly check-in with the client as a risk and see how they want to take that forward. When they're less engaged, you can still move forward and create the deliverable and you check in with them by sending emails, setting up meetings. If they're pushing your meetings, if they're not responding to the emails, you make forward progress on the deliverable and you engage them when it's done with the actual completed work, show them the work, get their feedback and say, these are my two or three risks. And if If you feel like they're not concerned about the risk, so maybe there's some folks who didn't respond to our interview invites, we couldn't grab their role and responsibility information, but the client was okay with that. They didn't see that as a big risk. So then I learned not to see that as a big risk and just deliver the best that I could under the circumstances I'm given. And what I realized with the client was they weren't super engaged into the details, but they wanted the work to be done. And so we moved forward and we completed the work and I never got really the great feedback that I wanted to hear from the client. But I know that they used what we created and that we delivered the best quality of work that we could under the circumstances we were given. And for me, that felt like success. Now, it wasn't a client that I wanted to work long-term with. When you have these difficult clients, you learn how to navigate the different personalities and curveballs that can be thrown at you. So while it wasn't my best or favorite experience, it was a good experience because now I know when a client's not engaged, how to make forward progress and what to do when you can't get responses. And Justin, I don't know, I'm sure you're well aware of the client that I'm talking about, but I don't know if you want to add anything to that about having difficulty getting responses from clients. It's one of those recurring and frustrating experiences for sure. Part of it's going back to the conversation we talked about, even with customers, the conversation in our last podcast, everything you're putting out there is pretty appropriate. It's definitely a frustrating thing. One thought I do have is we can only do so much for our customers and we're here to do good work for them. One conversation I've had with customers is when I don't get timely response from you, I can't drive towards the outcome you're hoping that I'll drive to or help you drive to. This really has to be a partnership to do this together. or We're not going to get where we need to go. Truth be told, it's probably one of my most frustrating views with the customer. Yeah. I see client engagement as a spectrum. So when I think about difficulty with clients, so you have the folks who aren't engaged and they want the work done. 
but it's difficult for you to get super passionate and into it because it also seems like they don't have a lot of the availability and are maybe not as engaged, just want the end product versus having these regular check-ins with risks and making sure that they're there along the way to help you deliver at the best level possible. I think moving along that kind of continuum, the next type of difficult client that I've encountered is one who is unavailable, but does care deeply and does want to know what the details are, but literally can't find the room in their schedule. And so the example I have of this is I was working for a large Fortune 10 company and I came in to do an audit on their onboarding and offboarding processes of vendors. And the client that I was assigned to was actually an executive within the company and their calendar was just full. And they didn't typically have management consultants reporting directly to them, but because it was actually an even higher executive who wanted to see the results of this audit and understand what this company and department was in and out of compliance with in terms of onboarding and offboarding at detail, that really high level senior VP had picked a director executive to oversee the third party consultant who was completing the audit. And so as I realized that I needed quite a bit of data and information and contacts to really get into the details of the audit, because there were, I want to say 30,000-ish vendors, individual vendors that I needed to audit. I realized this executive really cares about this, but truly doesn't have the time to help me get the reporting and data that I need, particularly when you're brand new to the company. So you don't just automatically know who to ask. And so I remember meeting with him and he he was trying to make time, but I also saw that he was working longer and longer hours to try and fit me in. And I said, Hey, you know, is there somebody in this department who has some experience with doing audits or overseeing vendors who are doing audits that maybe could be like my day-to-day contact? So I could ask them, who do I go to for a report to see who's currently has an active batch in the system so that the executive didn't have to say, oh, I'm not sure. Let me go ask these four people and let me email them for you. And so that was one way when I had somebody who not available, but engaged, (laughs) as opposed to my previous example of not available and not engaged. How do we solve that situation? Because I knew they cared and because they cared so much, I wanted to match how much I cared to their level, but we couldn't drive at, as you were saying before, Justin, we couldn't drive at the timeline that was required due to the limited bandwidth, but they were really open to figuring out how we solved that. It just wasn't that the executive themselves, probably just from everything that was on their plate, wasn't proactively coming to me with the solution. And so it was a way that I really helped add some value. And then I moved our check-ins to one hour every two weeks and gave them an actual report of these are my findings thus far. Here are the risks I see with your onboarding and offboarding processes. And here's what's in compliance. And here's what's looking like it's out of compliance. And here's how I'll be diving deeper. And here are the folks that I'm working with. And I will come back to you. And I started to bring to our meetings, the employee that my client had me working with on a day-to-day basis, who would help me understand what system to pull reporting on badges, for example, from, because I realized in addition to that, that my client didn't know that kind of stuff. And so I wanted 
wanted to bring the employee with me so that they could learn it as well. Okay, my client cares, but my client doesn't have bandwidth. What are some ideas? Who are some stakeholders? Who are some of their peers or who are some of their direct reports or who are some of their peers' direct reports? Because actually in this example, it was the executive's peer direct report who oversaw audits typically. And that was who I got connected with. Once you start to onboard with your client, you get a sense of, okay, on a scale of one to 10, how much do we care? And I saw, oh, he's a 10. And on a scale of one to 10, how available are you? Oh, you're like a two in availability. One way to sort of reconcile that and get over the hump of, I don't want to have to wait for my client to be able to make forward progress because they don't have a lot of time on their calendar is to use other stakeholders of the audit or of whatever project you're doing to get additional information so it doesn't all fall on the client. So that's another way. And, you know, the third example, like I said, I see it as this continuum, this spectrum. So there's, I'm not engaged, I'm not available. There's, I'm engaged, but I can't find the availability. And then there's the other side of it, which I think Justin, you touched on in the last episode also with customers is the, I'm engaged and I'm available and I work 24 seven. I am always on the computer. I am always working. And that's now my expectation of you as well. And so I would reiterate some of the great tips that Justin gave on the last episode of making sure that you're setting expectations and boundaries by saying, I don't respond to emails and IMs from 5 p.m. until 8 a.m. But I also found opportunities to build a solid relationship with that person who works 24-7 by whatever my first deliverable was really delivering well asking the right questions, learning about them, building that rapport. You have upfront a conversation as a management consultant. It's typically in your contract, the number of hours that you work per week. In most cases, a, I think in 95%, the client is paying an hourly amount for my time, you know, and they've got a certain budget. And if I'm working 60 or 70 hours, that budget's going to be gone a lot quicker. One important thing that a mentor of mine had said right away when I got into management consulting was always bill your actual hours, always bill that. So that was one way for them to see, hey, you know, I really do need to make sure that we're following the agreement of 45, 50 hours a week, whatever it is, because otherwise we don't have enough time on the contract or, you know, we have to ask for more budget. But it's also about making sure that you're building a strong rapport and relationship with them so that you can have the conversation with them about hours and holding the boundary because sometimes consultants will come right out of the gate with, I can't work this many hours. I can only work X amount of hours. And not to say that there isn't an initial expectation setting conversation where you're gathering information on what's needed from the client and they're gathering information on your availability and where do we work? Are we remote? Are we in the office every day? All of those things, there's that initial expectation. But as you start delivering what the client doesn't want to hear, hey, remember that I only work X amount of hours and you're asking me to do more. The client wants to hear, how can I help you? What do you need? And so I always focused on, let me deliver my first deliverable well. Let me make sure that I'm building a rapport and trust with this client. And then let me revisit the expectation conversation once I've delivered. And it's all of the things that we said in past episodes and that Justin touched on in the last episode. It's these are my priorities, one, two, and three. You've added number four. So does one, two, or three fall off now that I put four here? But I think you have to 
remember that in order to have those types of conversations, you've got to have proven yourself to a client because if you just go in having that conversation without knowing the client, without showing them what you can do, without building that rapport, it can land wrong with them. So those are the three different types of clients I would say that I've really struggled most with. Justin, I don't know if you have anything to add or additional stories about how do you manage difficult clients? No, I think you covered it really well. And I like the way you framed those three clients. They generally fit a pretty good definition of the types of customers that I've had. I don't think I would add any more. The two episodes really stack nicely on top of one another, I think. So I would just encourage you, if you missed last week's podcast, to go back a lot of Lindsay's input. It's really good stuff. That's all for today. Don't forget to head out to our website to access additional resources such as case studies, tips and tricks worksheets, trainings, articles, subscribe to our podcast and newsletter, and more. And tune in next week for an all new episode. Thanks for listening.